Welcome to the Romani Tea Room, a podcast series by the European Roma Rights Centre, talking about Romani activism, history and culture. So pour yourself a cup of tea, pull up a chair and join us. You are being watched. Campaigners and activists warn us about this. They say that the systems of mass surveillance and facial recognition in European countries violate human rights and hit vulnerable minorities even more. In the EU, mass surveillance is illegal. For private companies, it is controlled by GDPR. There is also a law enforcement directive, which is kind of GDPR for police, giving a legal basis on how to deploy facial recognition and other forms of biometric mass surveillance and when to do this. They always justify it for the reasons of national security, but the question is how proportional are such decisions to particular aims and whether or not they can be substituted by something else. Just a couple of weeks ago, the Italian Data Protection Authority rejected a real-time facial recognition system which was being used by the police. The authority said that the system was illegal as it obviously was a form of mass surveillance rather than the targeted surveillance of individuals. According to the European movement Reclaim Your Face, such technologies use our bodily and behavioral data to watch, track and analyze us as we try to live our lives. It also categorizes people and puts them into different baskets, which is hardly ever fair. For Roma, as Europe's largest ethnic minority, this might sound like another way of ethnic profiling, which has already caused great harm to Romani communities. In this episode of the Romani Theorem, we will try to figure out who might be watching all of us and decide whether it is simply a breach of the GDPR or a human rights issue that should concern us all. To find out, I'm joined by Ella Jakubowska, who is a policy advisor at the international advocacy group European Digital Rights, and Benjamin Ignatz, who is Croatian Roma and a policy research fellow at Open Society Foundations. Hello, and thank you for the participation in this episode. With my first question, I will go to Benjamin. How does this practice of mass surveillance undermine human rights in general? Well, I would say um, mass surveillance undermines three pillars that are very important for human rights, and that's privacy, trust, and the autonomy of a person. Um, We are basically diminishing the need to trust the person that we're surveilling because we are assuming that our surveillance of these people or these individuals is for their own good somehow, for the self-discipline of a society. But that's that's extremely patronizing in, in one way. And in another way, it is actually diminishing the human right of this person to, to autonomously uh, share as much information as this person wants with the person who's watching. And also, it diminishes the right to be left alone when you don't want to be seen. When we talk about mass surveillance, we don't mean CCTV cameras or any other systems that have been invented for security reasons many years ago, right? It is another level of surveillance involving facial recognition in it. Uh, Let's distinguish this and Ella, please, can you explain more about this technology? Absolutely. So 
Yeah, there's there's lots of types of surveillance and mass surveillance that's happening in you know, across our societies. Um, everything from you know, if we're using Gmail to send emails through to being on Facebook. Um, but here we're talking about a very specific type of surveillance, which is when it's done using people's bodies. So either their faces, sometimes the way they walk, uh, the shape of their eyes, the shape of their hands, really any way that you can imagine that people's bodies are, are, are having data pulled out of them to try and identify or, or make judgments about people. Um, and also sometimes people's behaviors. Now, in the worst scenario, how can this data harm the individuals and particularly the most vulnerable ones? I mean, minorities. Yeah, so there's unfortunately a really wide range of ways that these technologies can be harmful. Um, if we take them to their most extreme conclusion, like we've seen in China with something called the social credit score, there, what we've seen is that facial recognition has been linked to other big government systems, and it's been used to track and follow the population everywhere they go and to make judgments about them based on what they do that then control how they're able to live their lives. So one example is if you're buying alcohol, you can be marked out as potentially deviant. Um, and then things like your ability to get a passport to travel abroad your ability to um, get on the bus, you get pushed to the back of the queue for trying to board a bus, things like that, you know, really everyday things, you start being limited in your ability to do them because the state thinks that you've maybe not been acting in the way you should, you haven't been following their moral code. And that sounds, you know, potentially like something that for us in Europe is very far away. And actually the sad reality is that that's not the case at all. Um, we're already seeing people being uh, wrongfully, uh, con uh, not convicted, but accused of crimes in Europe because of, of a result of you know, a faulty recognition match that we had in France. Um, but in particular, as, as you say, we're really seeing that certain types of people, certain groups of people are being subjected to this biometric mass surveillance a lot more than other people. Um, we've seen, for example, people of color being very much subject to these these systems and uh, people uh, kind of working class people people with lower socioeconomic statuses what we see is neighborhoods where the majority of people are people of color or kind of live in poverty they're much more likely to be placed under these biometric mass surveillance systems like facial recognition than white and kind of more affluent neighborhoods um, we've seen people like migrants who have been turned away at uh, the Italian border being placed under um, facial recognition surveillance with cameras that were supposed to detect if they were loitering, um, which of course, if you're, if you're seeking to migrate, if you're seeking asylum and you've got nowhere to go, it, it's completely normal that you might have to stop and, and sleep somewhere in a public space. And that's exactly what we saw in this Italy case that this technology was used to actually persecute and criminalize these people who were sleeping rough. So very often we, we see that it's people on the margins of society who are used in experiments for this technology. Another example, uh, a number of EU borders is where facial recognition and, and AI has been used for so-called um, lie detectors, which 
scientifically just not valid and yet the European Commission has invested huge amounts of public money in, in creating this system that's supposed to read people's facial expressions and decide if they're lying when trying to enter the EU. And, you know, it sounds like a, a dystopia, but we also know that a lot of these systems have been trained on white Western people. So you know, we really fear that if you're a person of color, if you come from a different cultural background, your expressions could be interpreted differently. And the same goes if you're neurodiverse, for example. We've seen some people with disabilities being excluded by these systems. I mean, the list really, really goes on and on and on. You know, if you're not a, a, a rich white man, you're probably going to be really harmed by this rise in biometric mass surveillance. And even if you are a rich white man, you're probably going to be really harmed. Actually, mostly these are really old problems, you know, the problems of predictive policing and profiling. Exactly, exactly. That, these are so familiar for Roma rights activists um, and Benjamin from your field of the work and all, all this experience. Uh, what practices are already impacting Romani communities in a negative way? And what direction do you see the use of this technology taking in future concerning possible human rights abuse of Romani people in particular? So <clears throat> um, I must say that the practices that uh, Ella um, uh, mentioned earlier, um, I haven't come across in my research um, any of these directly impacting uh, uh, Roma communities yet. Uh, but uh, for example, ANPR, um, which is automated number plate recognition, it's a technology used in Western um, European countries. Um, this technology has been used to link vehicles with um, with people of a specific uh, ethnic background. So uh, they were targeting uh, motorhomes and vehicles of travelers and uh, Roma people uh, in the UK, uh, Netherlands, and in Germany. Um, so this, in a way, uh, uses uh, machine learning um, technology to to target Roma people. Um, however, we need to think about the fact that um, all these law enforcement um, agencies and and police um, in various European contexts, they will very gladly use these technologies to improve their work. Um, but their work is inherently uh, from the from the start. Um, biased so uh, either co consciously or subconsciously they are targeting roma people which has been um, very visible especially these days um, roma people have been suffering from police brutality uh, for, for decades if i maybe i can even say centuries basically and uh, these practices will be embedded in these technologies uh, no matter what so so if we have, um, for example, eye border control or um, any kind of biometric mass surveillance of a protest or, or um, a parade even that has Roma in it, it will reflect these biases either um, um, willingly or not willingly, subconsciously, consciously or uh, whatever. Uh, and, and it will um, negatively impact the, these communities. So um, 
in a way we have to preemptively be prepared to to protect ourselves from these technologies although we are not seeing we don't have from my knowledge we don't have a case yet where we can say this happened because of um, artificial intelligence um, hurting a Roma family in this this in this specific way this can be also explained by the fact that people don't have information about this issue and maybe they don't even know that they're being tracked by um, certain entities or companies and I don't know. Yes, Ella, you wanted to add something? Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to add that you know, it's not just with you know Roma and Sinti that we're not necessarily seeing specific harms yet, but actually more broadly, because the way that biometric mass surveillance works is it's kind of invisible. You know, if you're walking around and you've been marked out as suspicious by the police, it might lead to you know, the police intervening later as you're walking around and you don't necessarily know it's because of a, a, you know, a racist facial recognition algorithm analysis, for example. You might not know that because you've been tracked going to a protest that that might be put in your kind of social services file and it might affect your access to benefits or influence your children's schooling, for example, because the way that these practices are done, you know, this camera is put between us and authorities and you know, with the pretense that it's somehow neutral and, and actually all this data is being gathered and, and pulled together and used to make predictions and analyses of us. Um, and it's often only when you know, we either get a particular case like we've seen in the US where we know really clearly somebody has been falsely arrested because they're a black man and this algorithm misidentified them but often actually it's it's only when activists or an individual notices that something seems a bit off and decides to raise what's called a freedom of information request or decides to go to a data protection authority and complain that we even know that these things are happening so it's it's very secretive it's it's very untransparent and and the harms actually could happen on a, a really large scale without most of us ever even knowing that these things are being used against us. Actually, there are several national and even international movements against the harmful and discriminatory practice of this facial recognition in Europe. They say that they want to make public place less discriminatory for minorities. This automatically concerns Roma as it is the largest minority in Europe. Roma have been targets of ethnic profiling for years and ERC has been uh, outspoken about this for many years. How much do these movements uh, look at the problem from Romani perspective? This is the question to both of you, Ella, you can start and then I will go to Benjamin with the same question. Yeah, I think when we're, we're looking at a topic like facial recognition and biometric mass surveillance, it's so important that we think about kind of centering the voices of the people that are most harmed and um, Benjamin and I have a, a colleague, Roxy, who we've, we've talked to about this a lot, and she's been fantastic in really helping me as one of the co-coordinators of one of the European movements against biometric mass surveillance, you know, in making sure that we're not uh, seeing Roma stories and experiences as just something that can bring in horrible stories of grief, um, even though there are many of them when you look at the history of ethnic profiling and discrimination against Roma and Sinti in Europe, 
but also the importance of bringing Roma experience and expertise into the policy sphere and actually recognizing and valuing Roma experience and Sinti experience and other minoritized groups across Europe. Um, so that's something that is really, really important to us in our campaign. And we're about to, uh, I think hopefully next month, we're going to release the first resources for our campaign in a Roma dialect. So we've been working with a translator and he's made a film for us. Um, oh, that's that explains, fantastic news. Yeah, it explains what is biometric mass surveillance in a really, you know, really simple and understandable terms. So we're super excited to be launching that um, and hoping to you know, further collaborate with some Roma and Sinti rights groups and activists and communities to help get that message out there. And as, as Benjamin said, to preempt this before it does start you know causing really tangible harm against Roma um but of course you know we're, we're at the beginning of of our journey and and um if there are other people who want to work with us and, and collaborate we'd absolutely love that and we're always open to it but yeah maybe Benjamin can give his perspective I think there's a issue of supply and demand in terms of Roma involvement in the in this digital rights sphere what do you uh, mean supply in supply, I mean that um, there probably is not enough people among the Roma NGOs, Roma activist communities that are able to speak um, about technological discrimination, uh, algorithmic biases, artificial intelligence, etc. Um, and then the demand issue is maybe these organizations also don't have um, the bandwidth um, to focus on so many issues when there is other problems pressing more pressing uh, on the agenda so the priority list is is long and roma roma rights in general at the macro level are already suffering uh, um, from being sidelined on be, or being pushed very low on the european agendas so for the short attention span of the eu uh, many Roma organizations have to prioritize what kind of causes to fight for. So do we have um, housing? Do we have education? Do we have employment? Do we have uh, health care? Um, once we have these things, then maybe we can talk about uh, these very new futuristic problems, right? Like um, algorithmic um, discrimination and so on. So. So there is a there is a problem of supply and demand. Definitely, uh, we we need to create access for more Roma people to get into this. Um, but yeah, it it that sounds very cliche. It has to start with education. <laughs> it's sort of like the the um, go to solution for many problems. You have to educate people, but like you have to educate Roma people to get um, into STEM fields more maybe a, a little shift from the humanities and the political sciences to the STEM fields, to technology and so on, to be able to, to be not only um, to participate in the whole dialogue from, from various um, fields, not, not just the, the humanities level. And then the second one is educate the, the wider public about this issue to make the problem more salient uh, the, the problem of biometric mass surveillance is not salient enough for the European public to care. It hasn't reached the level of climate uh, of, the, of the extinction rebellion, for example. If, 
it's it's quite disproportionate again and it's because of the competing um priorities that people have that there's just this much attention span of a person that you can give to or dedicate to a specific cause and we need to unfortunately push certain things up and these things sometimes also push other things down uh, because there's only three things that I can care about today so um, yeah it's it's a it's a roller coaster Thank you both for your time and being um, our guest in this virtual studio today. I wish you good luck in your work and in your campaign. This is all for today. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Romani Team. And don't forget to subscribe us on Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts.